0: Welcome to the Semper Reformata Podcast. Spreading the word and contending for the faith. We're going to read from Luke chapter 2 and verse 36. Luke chapter 2 and verse 36. And there was one Anna a prophetess, the daughter of Fanyol, of a tribe of Vassar. And she was of a great age and had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about four score and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she coming in that instant, Give thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Well, that last verse, verse 38, requires some context, doesn't it? The events of Bethlehem have passed, happening in God's appointed time. Galatians 4 and 4 tells us that when God's plan, the proper time had come, that God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, under the regulations of the law. Mary has given birth to her son, the promised baby. The one who was conceived by the Holy Ghost in the womb of a virgin. And the shepherds have visited and they have worshipped the newborn king. At this point, the wise men have not come to worship. It's too early for that. Herod has not yet ordered his horrendous slaughter of the baby boys. That's still to come, maybe two years away. Jesus, the baby, Jesus at this stage is eight days old. And under the terms and conditions of the law, they had brought him to the temple, as was customary among the Jews for his ritual circumcision. We find the record of that in Luke chapter two and verse 21 and down to verse 23. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So the baby is circumcised and Simeon He was an old man who dwelt around the courts of the temple. He blessed him. He recognized that in this little baby, God has entered into the world and has fulfilled all of the promises that he had made to Israel. And Simeon, having blessed this baby and having seen his salvation, says in Luke chapter 2 and verse 29, Lord, now let us, thou, thy servant, depart in peace, according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Now it's at this point that this woman Anna appears in the temple courts. And before her is this scene. Imagine walking into the temple, and there's an old man standing holding a baby, speaking to the baby's mother. Nothing too remarkable, nothing too Startling in that, except that Anna, being a godly woman, a woman who loved the Lord, instantly recognized that there was something different about this baby. This baby is the promised Messiah. So, who was this woman, Anna? You know, we know nothing about her except what we learn in these three verses this tiny little snapshot of information in the scriptures. One commentator wrote that she was like many other Bible characters, like old Simeon himself, one of the quiet in the land, one of those whose names are hardly known, and yet they have appeared in Holy Scripture. And yet in this three-verse synopsis of her life, we've got a wonderfully complete sketch of who she was. So I want to look at it this evening. And I want to see Anna's gracious old age and I want to look at her godly service and to see what her reward would be. Some people talk about growing old graciously. On Friday evening when I come here to speak to you, God willing, I shall officially be a septuagenarian. Imagine that. could have thought it anna was growing old but as she grew old she was an older woman characterized by a spirit of grace proverbs 16 and 31 says gray hair is a crown of glory gained in a righteous life look with me at these verses and look at her impeccable character here in verse 36 tells us here that she was of great age of great age and had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity and was a widow of about 84 years now there's different ways you could look at that is she a widow of 84 years widowhood or was she a widow who was 84 years old well anna had been married once we know that a long time before this she's now let's assume for talk's sake, she's in her 80s, she's 84 at least. She's been married for seven years when her husband died. At that stage, she must have been still a very young woman. Presumably she could have found a new relationship. Presumably she could have married again. She could have had children. She could have had a home. She could have had all the comforts and protection of married life in those days. If she was married in her mid-teens she's been a widow now for around 70 years a woman who has never remarried but instead has devoted herself to godly living to a life of service to god remember widows had a special place in the jewish religion and more so in christianity in the jerusalem church the widows were cared for the first deacons were elected especially to make sure that widows and the needy were well looked after. In 1 Timothy 5, in verse 3, we're taught to honour widows who are really widows. So her impeccable character, she was a woman who devoted herself entirely to God's service. And look at her outspoken faithfulness, because we're told here that she was a prophetess in verse 36. I'm not actually sure in Judaism what the status of a female prophet would have been. Strict Jewish men were separated from women in worship. So I can only assume that she had a ministry among the other women. We can't be sure of one thing that she was a woman who was seeking God's face and a woman who would be declaring God's will to those within reach of her voice. So a godly, faithful, older woman with a ministry from the Lord. Let me pause there. Just because you're old doesn't mean that God has finished with you as far as work for him is concerned. Just because you've got odd in years doesn't mean to say that you have to stop service, there's many things you could do. A few weeks ago I sat with a lady who was well up in her 90s, she can't even get out of the house, she's looked after by her family, by carers coming in. And I sat with her and I thought to myself what would I read to her, and I actually read this passage which is what brought it to my mind, this passage about this older woman Who was still serving God even in later years and here she was and I said to this lady you know you may not be able to come out anymore you may not be able to do what you did in the church in earlier years but look you're able to pray you're able to witness you're able to be a good example to the carers coming in to look after you God has not finished with you as far as service is concerned A while back, somebody asked me if I'd retired. I've been on the state pension for five years. So I said, yes, I'm officially retired. Oh, how do you find your time? How do you fill in your time since you were retired? I said, I just do the same things as I was doing before I retired. I do them more often. This woman was in the temple as an older woman witnessing to others, declaring God's will. So we see her impeccable character, and we see her outspoken faithfulness, and we see her love for the house of the Lord because she was a woman, we're told here, who did not depart from the temple. She was always to be found in the place of prayer. Back in 2008, I met a Roman Catholic girl with a a great interest in photography, And we got talking about that, having that mutual interest, and eventually, coyly, she asked me about my, what she called my regular job. She was interested, it seemed, in the fact that at that stage, I was the minister of a church in Belfast. And when we'd established that, she began to talk to me about her mother. It turned out that the mother, well up in years, was terminally ill, and she began to say to me, Do you think when my mother dies, she'll be in heaven? And I asked her why she would think that. Oh, she says, my mother's a devout Catholic. She goes to the chapel every single day of the week. She lights candles every time she goes there. She goes to confession. She hears the daily masses. I was kind of, I must say I was kind of shocked. I, I didn't know. There was so much activity on in in the chapel, but there you are. And this woman thought, and this girl that I was talking to thought, that surely with all those religious works that she was doing, her daily masses and, and her candles and her giving and her confessions and all the rest, surely she'll get to heaven. Surely she'll be there she goes to, as she put it, she goes to God's house every day to pray. Mind you, I couldn't help, I suppose, at that point contrasting her attendance at her place of false religion that gave her no hope whatsoever. with Some of my congregation at that time who found it a hardship to struggle out of bed in the Lord's Day morning and come to church. Anna loved God's house, but she wasn't like that lady I was talking about. She didn't love God's house because she was hoping that attendance there would gain her some merit with God. She attended God's house and loved the house of the Lord and did not depart from the temple because she loved the Lord and wanted to be in his presence with his people in the place of worship. Anna, an older woman, a woman characterised by a godly life, a woman who had a desire to be in the place where the Lord's name was being praised, the psalmist, summed up people like her in psalm 92 he says those that be planted in the house of the lord shall flourish in the courts of our god they shall bring forth fruit in old age they shall be fat and flourishing to show that the lord is upright he is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him Anna's gracious old age. But let's look at her as an example of godly service. Very important to be a good example, even in old age. In Philippians chapter 2 and 12, Paul writes, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence also, But now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I was a young Christian. I was struggling with that verse. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What did it mean? Was I to sit down, I thought, with my own head and try to figure out a way that I could save myself from my sin? You know, Could that affect my spiritual rescue? Surely not. That would go against everything else that Paul believed and taught. It was a troublesome verse. And I was sitting, and I talked about it to some of my friends in the youth fellowship, and I said, this is a contradiction. There's something strange here. Paul, all the way through his letters, talking about God's grace, being saved by grace alone. By grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And yet here he says, work out your salvation with fear. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Am I to be like that Catholic woman in the chapel? It was a troublesome verse indeed, and it was pastor john harris actually who helped me with it he did so at a bible study at a church in county down he he was preaching on on philippians and he likened this verse to the law to the law of the land to the law of of the of the that is enforced by the police to that law the law that must not only be done but must be seen to be done and he said Your salvation, what has happened within you, you being born again, must be worked out in your life. It must be evident to others. It must be an example. Our salvation must be outworked. That infusion of life and grace will come to the surface and it will result in a life that is changed in good works and in godliness. Certainly cleared that verse up for me. Look at Anna's outworking of her salvation. Look at her self denial. She served God with fastings. Verse 37. She served God with fastings. She was a godly woman. But she was part of God's covenant people before Christ's atoning sacrifice at the cross. And yet there is this element of the Christian life in her life, in her own self-denial, in her mortification of the pleasures of sin in her life. She's mirroring in advance the, the later teaching of Christ to his disciples. Jesus taught those who followed him, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. He said it several times. In Luke chapter 9 and verse 23, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me, for whosoever will save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospel will save it. What does it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? In fact, we're to take up our cross and deny ourselves daily, according to the teaching of Christ. Now, Anna, serve God with self-denial, with fastings. She was crucifying the flesh, keeping her own fleshly desires under control. It was a working out of her underlying trust in God. And look at her prayer life because she prayed night and day, she continually consumed, communed with the Lord. She consumed, finding it hard to say the word, communed. She communed with the Lord as she would with her best friend. There was a Christian poet who wrote, We love the house of prayer, wherein thy servants meet. Now, O God, art there thy chosen flock to meet. She was in the temple, and she was serving God with fastings and prayers night and day. I wonder how did she occupy those long hours of prayer. I wonder what she prayed for. I'm sure she would have prayed for her personal needs. As a widow, in those days, she would have had nothing of her own. There was no social services, no safety net, no job. She would have come to the Lord simply trusting in him to give her every day her daily bread, as he would later teach. I have no doubt she would pray on behalf of others. She would have prayed for others in her own state and condition. She would have prayed for those who were sick. She would have prayed for her family. She would have prayed, of course, as we see, for the fulfillment of God's promises to Israel. For she was expecting the imminent incarnation of the Messiah. So like all godly Jews at that time, she would have been fervently praying for the establishment of God's kingdom she prayed night and day do you know prayer is a difficult discipline sometimes it's hard to sit down and keep your thoughts concentrated and to pray for 10 or 15 minutes never mind praying night and day I find one of the best ways of praying is simply to be honest with the Lord and to simply say, Lord, teach us to pray as you taught your disciples to pray. And I find the best way to do that, praying continually, is to lift up situations before the name of the Lord whenever they arise. It doesn't matter where you are. Not necessarily in a formal time of prayer. The Lord is always with us. We can always turn to him. We can turn to him at any time of need. We can do it night or day. We can awake in our beds in the middle of the night and we can pray. I I read a series of tweets on Twitter or Acts, as it's now called, some man, a Christian man was lamenting the fact that when he woke up in the middle of the night, as many of you do, I'm sure, and thoughts are going through your head and and you think this is a a good time to spend some time in prayer. But rather than get out of bed and disturb the house or disturb your wife or your husband, you just lie there and you quietly begin to bring your thoughts and prayers before the Lord. And before you know it, you're fast asleep. And this man was chastising himself publicly for this. And he was saying, it's dreadful. I'm praying. And suddenly I find him, I've fallen asleep. I wake up in the morning and I said, what happened to my prayer? Have I let the Lord down? Somebody replied to his comment and said, How marvelous that when you are in the presence of your heavenly Father, you are so much at ease and in comfort in his presence that you fall asleep in his loving arms. Made me think, after all the times I've fell asleep in church services. You can raise your voice to the Lord in praise or in prayer wherever you may be, and I pray night and day. It doesn't have to be formal prayer. It doesn't have to be on your knees, it doesn't have to be standing up. it doesn't have to be in your room, just wherever you are, take it to the Lord take her situation to him and ask him for your help, for his help her self-denial her prayer life and look at her witness because in verse 38 she spoke of him of the Lord Jesus to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem She'd encountered Christ as a baby and she'd met the master and she had worshiped God in human flesh, the one who'd created the world, the redeemer of Israel, the one promised by the prophets. When you meet the Savior, how can you not tell others? There must have been a number of people like her in Jerusalem. She was keeping company with them. There were those who were waiting for redemption. They wanted to be saved. They wanted to have their sins forgiven. They wanted to be redeemed. And she came and she shared with them, the Lord has come. The revelation of God in Christ. It has happened. What an example she was. In her old age, a godly example to us. In 1522, I'm told, I'm not that old, but I'm told that Martin Luther was asked to preach the eulogy at the funeral of a pastor in the town of Zwickau in Germany. And he entered the pulpit. People watched the great professor of theology mount the pulpit in the church to give this address in which he would talk about the life of This godly man who'd been ministering in this town for many years, and they expected something amazing. They expected a wonderful, masterly composition of words, a great sermon. And Luther didn't disappoint them. He rose into the pulpit and he said, What we preach, he lived. Amen. That'd be long enough for a funeral service, wouldn't it? I think if that was said of me at my funeral, I'd be happy enough. And I think to be fair, so with those intents. Anna served the Lord. What we preach, she lived. Her self denial, her life of prayer, her witness for the Saviour. And just before we finish, let's see her reward. Because at the end of the day, Anna received a rich reward for her diligence in God's service. Before she left this world, verse 38, She coming in at that instant, gave thanks likewise unto the Lord. What a reward it was. She seen Jesus. You know where I'm going with this, don't you? There's no reward for Christians in this world. Anna differs from us in that respect. She lived at a particular time in history, that special time that I referred to right at the very beginning when God sent his son, when the fullness of time had come. She saw the Saviour face to face. What a reward that is. For us too, there is a reward. For the one who has been made righteous before God. In Psalm 17 and verse 46, the psalmist says, As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. It would be well for all of us to ponder the character of Anna and to think that one day whenever we awake, when we leave this world, when we leave the scene of time, and we awake in the presence of the Lord, we shall see his face, and we shall be satisfied. Our reward, like Anna's, will be to see his face one day in glory.